out of Acts uh, chapter 10, um, verses 1 through 20. So let me, uh, let me pull it up here for you, Lisa. Good morning, church family. Will you join me in reading our passage today? There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion in the Italian company. He and his whole household were pious, gen Gentile God worshipers. He gave generously to those trying to follow in need among the Jewish people and prayed to God constantly. One day at nearly three o'clock in the afternoon, he clearly saw an angel from God in a vision. The angel came to him and said, Cornelius. Startled, he stared at the angel and replied, what is it, Lord? The angel said, your prayers and your compassionate acts are like a memorial offering to God. Send messengers to Joppa at once and summon a certain Simon, the one known as Peter. He is a guest of Simon the Tanner, whose house is near the seacoast. When the angel who was speaking to him had gone, Cornelius summoned two of his household servants, along with a pious soldier from his personal staff. He explained everything, everything to them, then sent them to Joppa. At noon on the following day, as their journey brought them close to the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted to eat. While others were preparing the meal, he had a visionary experience. He saw heaven open up and something like a large linen sheet being lowered to the earth by its four corners. Inside the sheet were all kinds of four-legged animals, reptiles, and wild birds. A voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter exclaimed, absolutely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke a second time, never consider unclean what God has made pure. This happened three times. Then the object was suddenly pulled back into heaven. Peter was bewildered about the meaning of the vision. Just then, the messenger sent by Cornelius discovered the whereabouts of Simon's house and arrived at the gate. Calling out, they inquired whether the Simon known as Peter was a guest there. While Peter was brooding over the vision, the spirit interrupted him. Look, three people are looking for you. Go downstairs. Don't ask questions. Just go with them because I have sent them. The word of the Lord. All right. Thank you. Uh, so uh, may we come to know God better uh, through the reading, hearing, and understanding of scripture. Amen. Amen. Um, so how cool is it uh, that we get to have uh, someone like Lisa um, here with us where you Actually, she's, uh, she's upstairs uh, trying to, to lead the kids, but she gets to be here and uh, help lead us in, in the reading of scripture. So uh, just so grateful for uh, all the staff here at First Dunedin uh, that have been uh, so creative. And uh, we've had to uh, push beyond our, our comfort zones uh, through all of this. Um, so just, just so grateful. Um, so um, <clears throat> that, that story uh, that Lisa just read from Acts chapter 10 um, in my opinion, uh, it might be one of the most powerful stories in the book of Acts. And, and I might even put it for me at like 
in the top five of, uh, of the entire New Testament. I, I know that it might seem like uh, a weird story about a crazy dream to us here in the 21st century of America, but, but this was just totally unexpected, totally unprecedented at this time. And so what I want to do is I want to just unpack some of the details to help us understand this story a little bit more. And then we're going to look at how this story ends. And so it says that there was a man named Cornelius who was a Roman centurion of the Italian regiment, and he lived in Caesarea. So what all that means is that uh, Cornelius was a Gentile. He was, he was not Jewish, and he lived in Caesarea, which is uh, the Gentile coastal city. It's the primary Gentile coastal city. And the J Jewish people hated Caesarea because it represented uh, Roman oppression. I, I mean, you hear it right there in the name, Caesarea Caesar. And, and back then, there was a lot of oppression. There was a lot of racism back then, not, not now, of course. And so uh, Cornelius is there, and uh, he's a Roman centurion, which means that, that he commanded about uh, 100 soldiers. And Cornelius is a, is a God-fearing man, but he was a Gentile. And so what that means is that he's surrounded in Caesarea by this plethora of, of Roman gods and pagan temples, but he found no hope in any of them. Instead, he found hope in the God of Israel, but he didn't know exactly who this God was. And so this is the dilemma that he's in, that, that he was a Gentile, he wasn't Jewish, which meant that the Jewish people wouldn't associate with him. And so Cornelius is here seeking faith, and, and all he is waiting on was someone to preach a sermon to him, was someone to, to witness to him, was someone to tell him the good news. But even the Christians at this point were only sharing the good news of Jesus with other Jewish people. The, the early followers of Jesus still considered themselves fully Jewish. They were just following this new expression of Judaism brought about by Jesus. They were still in this kind of closed off society to people who looked like them, spoke like them, and, and for the most part, thought like them. And even though Jesus had given them the great commission to go out into all the world to make disciples, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And so the great commission is still unfulfilled at this point. They've, they've been commissioned but they've only made it around the corner. They've, they've only made it in Jerusalem at this point. And, and yet we have someone here in Caesarea who is, who is hungry, hungry to know God, hungry, hungry to hear this news. And, and he's praying and an angel of God shows up telling him to go to Joppa to find a man named Peter. Now, Joppa is also significant because it was considered the Jewish coastal city. And God doesn't tell Cornelius why he has to go to Joppa and find this Peter guy, because that's not the way that God works. God, God doesn't show you the reason until you are willing to respond. And, and Cornelius is willing. I mean, this is faith. This is faith of, of a Gentile here. Uh, that Cornelius doesn't know why he has to meet this Peter, but but maybe, maybe Peter has the answers that he is looking for. And so Cornelius commands some of his men to, to leave Caesarea, the Gentile coastal city, go to Joppa, the Jewish coastal city, uh, to go get Peter. Leave your neighborhood, leave your comfort zone, and go meet some people who are different from you. And it says that, that the next day, 
the next day at noon the following day while Cornelius's men are on their way to Joppa to go get Peter Peter is having this this moment and and don't miss this don't miss this it says that you know God came to Cornelius first that God comes to an outsider first that the God is is always ahead of us and if God's people won't keep the movement going, then God will find some other people to to push it forward. I mean, we've seen this happen time and time again throughout the church. And and sometimes the the church gets it right in discerning where the movement of God is leading and and being obedient into following that. And sometimes the church has, has gotten it wrong. But God will often use people outside of the church to call the church to repent, to change, and to push the church forward into God's vision for the world. Because God's kingdom is so much bigger than just the church. God is always ahead of us using whatever and whoever is available to push this movement of God into the kingdom that God desires for our world. And so, God begins working on Peter and preparing Peter for this new thing that God was about to do. Peter has a strange vision of of a sheet coming down out of heaven with all these different types of animals on it. And and now this is the part of the story that that might be a little confusing for us who live in the 21st century and and maybe we didn't grow up with Jewish kosher laws. You know, we might be thinking like, Peter, what's the big deal? You're you're hungry. Go, Go have some shrimp. Go have some pork chops. Uh, But the Jewish dietary laws were a big deal back then to the Jewish people because the Jewish people were supposed to be set apart from the rest of society. And, you know, an easy way to set yourself apart is to not eat what everybody else is eating for dinner. I mean, I was I was a vegetarian for years and there were uh, more than a few times where I would turn down invitations to dinner uh, because I really didn't want to go to a steakhouse and pay twenty dollars for a salad. And so a very practical way to keep yourself set apart is by being very specific about what you eat. And yet Peter, and yet uh, God shows uh, Peter this whole buffet of unclean food. And, and Peter is thinking, okay, is this really a vision from God or, or am I just having hunger pains? And so three times Peter says, absolutely not, Lord, a- absolutely not. So how are you going to call God Lord and still say no? And yet Peter tells God, look, I'm not going to do it because of the traditions of how I used to do it. They don't line up with this new thing that you are trying to do, God. But this whole thing really wasn't about the food. I mean, it was, but, but it wasn't. It was so much bigger than that. God was using Peter's physical hunger to show him what his spiritual hunger should be. God was using Peter's physical hunger to show him what his spiritual hunger should be. And while this is all going down, guess who shows up? Cornelius's crew from Caesarea. They they tell Peter why they're there and they ask him uh, to come with them to Caesarea. And so he goes uh, to this other neighborhood and he knocks on the door. Now, not only were Jews not supposed to eat what everybody else was having for dinner, but they weren't supposed to go into Gentile houses. But guess who's coming to dinner? And so constantly, we w- what we witness throughout the book of Acts is that these followers of Jesus, 
They don't go where they want to go or meet with whom they want to meet. Instead, the Holy Spirit always seems to be pressing them to go to people and places that they would rather not share space with or share a meal with, or especially not life with. And yet, it is the prodding of the Holy Spirit to be this boundary-crossing, border-transgressing type of people. And so, Look at this uh, in verse in verse 25 here. It says this. It says, as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in order to honor him. But Peter lifted him up saying, get up like you. I am just a human. I am just a human. Now the, the first barrier is broken. They're they're both human beings. Peter recognizes the humanity of Cornelius, this unclean outsider, and says, hey, look, we're, we're the same. You see, recognizing someone else's humanity is the first step in reconciliation. We, we may be different. We may have different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different skin tones. But at the end of the day, we're, we're both still human. And so Peter goes on and he has uh, this conversation with Cornelius. And, and he says this, Peter said, I am really learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Rather, in every nation, whoever worships him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is the message of peace. He sent to the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. He is Lord of all. Peter says, I am really learning that God shows no partiality. And so just just think of how that statement challenges and undermines our tendency to confine God to our own comfortable categories. You see, in, in Peter's day, the inclusion of Gentiles in God's mission was profoundly controversial. Many of the original followers of Jesus could not conceive of a Messiah meant for non-Jews, even though God's promises to Israel have always been to bless the entire world. But what we do is that we want to try to tame and domesticate God, but God is constantly breaking barriers to release kingdom unity. And so when Peter says, I am really learning that God shows no partiality to one group of people over another, if, if we could put it in modern day terminology, it, it would sound like this. Peter would say, I am really learning that Gentile lives do matter. The Gentile lives matter. It's, it's a statement of fact, not, not to say that the Jewish lives don't matter or, or don't matter as much because they're still God's chosen people. But here's a group of people who have thought to have been on the outside of the presence of God. And yet Peter has this revelation, Gentile lives do matter. This is, this is the second awakening for Peter. This is the second conversion of Peter. Peter is, has believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. He was the first one to answer that question. But now he believes exactly what that statement, that Jesus Christ is Lord, he believes exactly what that statement means, not only for him, but now for the whole world. 
that Peter now understands that Jesus is the Christ and that he is Lord of all and all means all. And so Peter shares the gospel with Cornelius and his family. Uh, but before Peter can, can finish his sermon, uh, the Holy Spirit shows up and interrupts him. And so check it out. This is, this is what it says next. It says, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. They heard them speaking in other languages and, and praising God. And Peter asked, these people have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Surely no one can stop them from being baptized with water, can they? He directed that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited Peter to stay for several days. They invited Peter to stay for several days. And, and so that story, it sounds a lot like the story of, of Pentecost from Acts chapter 2, uh, because this is the Pentecost. This is uh, the Gentile Pentecost. The same thing happens here that happened chapters earlier in Acts chapter 2, where people start praying and speaking in different languages. And, 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 just, and just like that on the first day of Pentecost, only now it's not just the Jewish people, it's the Gentiles now too, the non-Jewish people. And, and Peter and the church, they're, they're just playing catch up. That from the beginning of this whole story up until now, God has been the one initiating this movement. God has been driving. And were it not for the Spirit's prodding of Peter, were it not for the Spirit's movement, we would still try to put a fence around God's power. Just as Peter says, we don't have a choice but to, to follow in line with where the Spirit is heading. I, I, we, don't, we don't have a choice but to, but to invite them into baptism, do we? We don't have a choice but to, but to just move with where the Spirit is moving. You see, the Spirit is the one that brings unity to divided places. The, the Spirit is the one that, that breaks down the walls that separate us. The Spirit is the one that, that breaks the rules for the sake of love. The Spirit is the one that changes not only their hearts, but also changes my hearts. Because we're all in this thing together. The Spirit is the one who comes to convict us and say, don't you dare call unclean, unworthy, what I have called worthy, what I have called clean. And so the question for us today is, you know, where is the Spirit leading us today? To, to whom is the Spirit leading us today? What, what strangers is the Spirit calling us to welcome? And do we welcome only those who are already like us or who are willing to become like us? Or are we willing to be changed for the sake of welcoming new people and new generations? Are we willing to, to loosen our grip on our long-standing, dearly held traditions that may present obstacles to welcoming others to the table? And, and maybe, maybe a place to begin with is that question, who is, who is not at the table? Who, who, do we, who do we need to invite to the table? Who is, who is hungry that we can invite to the table of Jesus? Because Jesus is Lord of all. 
Won't you pray with me? And so, holy God, Spirit, keep speaking to us. Keep prodding us. God, keep pushing us so that we may see you. God, so that we may see you in others. How you are at work in this world, not only within the church, but also, Lord, outside of the church. God, give us the faith to see that. God, give us the obedience to follow you in that. Wherever it is, Lord, that you are leading, wherever it is that that the wind of your spirit blows, Lord, help us to fall in line with that. Give us the obedience and the courage to be uncomfortable, to follow you wherever it is that you will lead us. God, give us eyes to see as you see. Lord, give us eyes to see the world as you see the world. And that when we see the world differently through your eyes, God, that we would be changed and that we would do differently. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.